So welcome back to another Fireside Conversation. And this one I've been looking forward to. I met our guest right now, Ariane Nashat, uh, back in, I think it was late uh, 2021 at the Innovator MD. I've lost track of time, but it was the Innovator MD Summit by uh, Yuli. And you'll be meeting him soon as well. And, and actually, as soon as I heard this talk, I was thinking I need to get her onto this summit and share her story as well as some lessons that we can learn from her. So Ariane, she's an emergency medicine and palliative care physician. She's an educator and a change maker, and she's a regular speaker on, in, in all of these fields. She works at the Balboa Medical Center and the VA Medical Center in San Diego, California. My God, I'm jealous. Uh, and also uh, <laughs> a palliative care physician at uh, Scripps. Uh, but most recently, she founded Pality, and this is what I want to share with you today. You know, it brings together resources to both educate, empower, and enable patients who have life-altering illness, you know, and often terminal illness. And this is personal. You, know, you hopefully know my story. I've shared it all the time, but it is personal. I mean, when my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer, everything was going through our minds, everything. And, and Ariane has heard this already, but, you know, it was that care that we needed as a family unit as opposed to just the patient. So anyway, let's fast forward and, and hear from Ariane herself. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. I was so enamored with you as well at that same conference because public health and population health is so critical and so relevant to what I'm working on that I just felt a kinship with you right away. And then obviously my roots back at Oxford, there's the whole other side of the pond piece of this where I miss being at Hogwarts. So thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited oh, to awesome. be here to chat with you. Remind me, what were you doing at Oxford? I, I missed that. Oh, I, I was studying biochemistry and calculus. Oh. Yes, Oculus. so okay, there you go. I was at yeah. I was at Wadham College. And, Excellent, uh, best year of my life. I, I I hate to admit it, but I really miss it. It's a lovely place, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Let's dive right in, uh, Ariane, and just get a feel for, you know, what's the specific problem that you're solving uh, with Palati? Well, I think it's no surprise to anyone after the last two years we've been through with this pandemic that dying is something that is on the forefront of people's minds probably more than it's ever been in the history of at least uh, the last several centuries. Um, and the reality is, is that we don't feel comfortable talking about death and dying. You know, we prepare for every other aspect of our life. We want to have babies. We want to get married. We want to pick a career or a vocation. Um, we have all these amazing things that we plan for, including our retirement. But the one thing that we're all going to do, which is die, um, is something that no one really feels great talking about. And so during the pandemic, one of the things that struck a chord with me, because I was working doing both emergency medicine for the Naval Medical Center in San Diego and the VA, um, as well as doing palliative medicine, is that we have an opportunity here that I don't think has ever really been delved into or explored culturally, at least in the United States, but I suspect elsewhere in the world as well, where we all get a one-way ticket here. And we should be able to talk about this. We should be able to prepare for this. And honestly, it doesn't have to be scary and ominous and, you know, oh my God, the Grim Reaper is here and where's my shiv and black cloak. But just like we prepare for every other major event in our life, why wouldn't we prepare and why wouldn't we feel comfortable talking 
and really designing, for lack of a better word, our ending just as much as we prepare for our beginnings. Mm. And I can imagine that, I mean, obviously, professionally, you're a palliative care physician, but obviously we, we each have our personal stories. And, and I wonder if you would want to share uh, anything about what led you to actually this specific problem. Was it purely professional? Uh, what's the inspiration behind it, I guess? So if you, if you Google some of my talks, um, I have spoken openly about having my own experience uh, with becoming an oncologic patient. And, you know, it, it wasn't something I was expecting. I was in my early 30s. It came out of nowhere. It really shook me to my core. And it, it helped me transition and pivot a bit. I actually went into traditional Chinese medicine. So I boarded in emergency medicine. Um, I then pursued a master's in traditional Chinese medicine. And through that work, I came back to my system at the time I was working for Kaiser Permanente in Northern California. And I built their first inpatient integrative symptoms management service. And what wound up being the case is, is that 70 or so percent of my patients were palliative patients. So I wound up boarding in hospice and palliative medicine and then also becoming pain trained. And it, it, it's interesting because people ask me that question, how did you get from emergency medicine all the way over to this other side of things? And really, I think it's a natural evolution of, of my personal experience as well as the experience clinically that I was going through. And I found that one area of medicine that we, we just really don't focus on and you know, lack of a better description is sort of the redheaded stepchild of medicine is this notion of what do we do when our bodies are starting to fail? And so I became very interested in when our bodies are breaking down, how do we still support living? How do we make sure that people have the best quality of life as possible? And how do we engage in it in a way that is humorous and playful and, and where we take the darkness out of it and bring it much more into the light? Easier said than done. You know, I want to dive right into the business side of this in a moment, but I, sure. I vividly remember, Ariane, um, my son turned one, and this is a bit of a personal story. I'll keep it short. My son turned one. We're in Hungary celebrating his first birthday with uh, my in-laws. And um, my dad calls me and, you know, he's like, yeah, your grandpa's just passed away. So I was like, what if we could just celebrate that moment? Mm -hmm. And then within a few days he was hospitalized he gets diagnosed and it just like you can't celebrate <laughs> it's just so hard to celebrate it's easy saying it when you're on the outside but when you're in there it's so difficult anyway look I want to get into the the, the nitty-gritty and for you watching uh, this right now you know I'd, I'd love for you to have a just walk with us through this journey and and have a think how you would go about doing each of these next few steps as I uh, ask uh, Ariane and and if you've got questions remember you've got the community area where you can pose questions there or reflect and see how you'd apply it to yours so setting the scene we've got palliative care people with terminal often cancer or any other kind of condition at all kinds of age groups I'm presuming so can you just narrow down on who is the specific um, customer or target audience that you're serving and what's the solution that you're offering so I think that's a fascinating question. And the reason I say it's fascinating is because I think that we have a nomenclature problem. Um, I think we have a public relations yeah. problem. 
regarding palliative medicine. I think when people hear the word palliative, they think, oh my God, I'm going to be sent off to the farm, so to speak, and I'm off to die. And palliative medicine actually is not about the dying. It's about the living. So palliative medicine is for anyone who is diagnosed with a serious life-altering illness. So that may be someone who's absolutely expected to recover. So, you know, you have a younger person with breast cancer and it's early stage. That's a candidate for palliative support. You can have someone who has advanced dementia. They're also a candidate for palliative support. So palliative medicine is really intended for anyone living with a serious illness. So again, mm. living with the serious illness, not dying, but living. And so they're still in what's called the disease modifying state. So there's something I can do that can change the behavior of that illness. So, you know, you and I have spoken a lot about cancer and it's probably the, the palliative diagnosis most patients and families and, and lay people think about. But if you're going through chemo or surgery or radiation or immunotherapy, we're doing things to modify the behavior of your disease. But with that comes a whole host of challenges, right? So starting from, oh my God, I have this diagnosis and having the rug, so to speak, pulled out from under you and having to process that, having to figure out what does this actually mean for me? What are the implications for my day-to-day -day life? How is this gonna impact my family? How is this gonna impact my children? What do I need to do to prepare for this? How's this gonna impact my employment? Am I gonna to have to take time off from work? Can I work through treatment? Um, or while you're going through treatment, if you're having you know, side effects, which most treatments are associated with some degree of side effects, how am I going to manage those? Do I need more support in the home? Do I need to communicate with other people going through the same thing that I'm going through? Um, if there's anything we've learned over the course of this pandemic is people need connectivity. They need connection. They need to relate to other people going through similar experiences. And so really what we're trying to do is provide the support and the education that are needed for anyone. Doesn't matter who you are, what age you are, where you are. Are you the caregiver? Are you the patient? Are you the child of that patient? Um, or are you a clinician for that matter? So say you're in a rural part of the United States where only 17% of hospitals even have a palliative mm. care offering. You may be at you know, the limits of your personal education and clinical experience, you may need support. So really the intention of Pallity is to take all of those pieces and put them in the same platform. So whether you're early in your disease or you're late in your disease, you're the patient, the caregiver, the clinician, or the healthcare system, if you need that support, whether it be actual telehealth medicine, where we actually have a patient talking with someone like myself, or you're a family member and you need access to a social worker because you're not sure what you need next and you're trying to figure it all out, or say you are a patient yourself and you really want a community with which you can communicate about what you're experiencing and get some support and feedback about what's worked for them or hasn't worked for them. So the goal of Pallity is to essentially create that space where from A to Z, from time of diagnosis until say you get to a place where your treatment isn't working anymore and you are now approaching hospice, which is when there is no further treatment to modify your disease, but we still wanna support you and we wanna make sure you have the best quality of life that you have access to all of those things at your fingertips. 
So you mentioned the key word then, a fabulous, uh, you know, solution. I mean, we'll learn more about this, uh, I think, in due course, but it's a, it's a much needed area of work. And, and I hear that you've got, if you think of the lean canvas, you know, you've got various kinds of customer, and I hate this word, but regardless, you've got various kinds of users, if you like, target audiences that you're trying to serve all the way from the patients, their carers, their kid, you know, children, as well as the care, um, you know, the, the physicians or nurses and, and everyone else involved. But you've also got uh, different kinds of value propositions for each of them. So I completely yes. understand that. But the key word that you used there is platform. And I think, mm -hmm. is that your business model? It is. So we are curating, for lack uh -huh. of a better description, the entire offerings of what anyone could possibly need. So mm -hmm. like I said, if you need actual support from a, a clinical team, we have a clinical team for you. If you need support because you just want community, you just got diagnosed, you're actually doing great. But say, you know, you're a newly diagnosed 56 year old man who has prostate cancer and say you have concerns about your sexual health. Say you have concerns about what the implications of this are going to be for you. You're expected to live, you're expected to do fine. But let's be honest, treatment for prostate cancer can impact sexual activity. It can impact other aspects of your life. Maybe you want to talk to other people who are going through that experience and you want to know what's worked for them, which surgery options they chose and why they chose them and how that's worked out for them. You know, there are lots of needs people have in this space. And I think, I think that's really the key you know, proposition here is people don't even know what they need and they don't know where to go to find it. And so within Pality, the goal here is really for you to be able to, whether you need a self-guided tutorial about what does it mean to be a palliative patient? Or if you already know and you just really need palliative services, we can provide the palliative services as well. Or like I said, if you're somewhere that is very remote and you don't have access and no one in your area knows what to do, your physicians can, can get education and support as well while they manage you themselves. Right. I've got so much to dig through, but we've only got a limited amount of time. So I'll just highlight sure. one specific question on this, on the business model and then go uh, take sure. a step back in a second. Um, and feel free if you want to add anything, Ariane, honestly, but for, for you watching, I've got a question for you about this. So imagine you were an advisor or a consultant to Ariane right now. You know, what would you be thinking when she's describing everything she just said there in terms of you know, a platform, you've got this, these different kinds of value propositions. I mean, for each of these value, and this isn't about palatality, by the way, but just generally for each of these, you've got different kinds of products and services to think about. You've got different kinds of channels to get to them. You've got different kinds of um, all sorts like cost pricing, all sorts of they're not issues, but things to grapple with. And coming back to platform, if you don't know this already, try and Google around and I'll hopefully do a talk about what platforms are later. They're very challenging. However, it's a winner take all kind of business model that if you're in there early in your niche, if you like, and honestly, I don't know anything about the palliative care space when it comes to startups. Um, however, if you can get in there and develop those relationships between all the different players and offer some sort of value to each one of them, once you get those, it's really hard. It takes a long time. And that's why, and we'll get onto this, that's why 
it's harder to get investment for platforms. But once you've built, I mean, think of some well-known platforms out there, and I won't mention them, look them up and think what they might be. They, they're a winner-take-all uh, place. So my, my challenge now back to you, Ariane, is how do you, how do you go about prioritizing and how do you go about deciding who pays for all of this? Sure. So I think one thing that was really important and near and dear to my heart in, in designing Palady is that I do not want the burden of access to fall on patients. Okay. I don't want the cost to fall on the patients because I really feel strongly that they're already struggling with enough, right? Do they really need another expense? Do they really need another thing that they have to add to the list of things they're worried about. Mm -hmm. And so when we were thinking about the value proposition, we were designing it. One of the things that became very evident is, is yes, there can be a, a, a B2C model here, right? We can sell directly to consumers. Consumers can, can join the platform individually. But really the ideal scenario and the one that we've decided to target is to go after payors because at the end of the day, when you look at the cost of a hospitalization, if you look at an admission to the ICU, if you look at the high-end costs that come from someone having severe symptoms that aren't being addressed early, and they get into so much trouble that they essentially are falling off the cliff that they now need to be hospitalized, from a payor's perspective, that's a very costly event. So for a health insurer, they don't, they, they'd rather put that money up front towards preventing that hospitalization and preventing that, that sort of off the cliff moment for a patient, which, you know, I'd like to think it's for altruistic reasons, but at the end of the day, this is a business related podcast, right? There's a business side to healthcare and it's about, for them, it's a cost savings me measure more than anything else. They can then use that money up front to support patients having palliative care support to minimize those adverse outcomes. And you know, it, does it mean that no one's ever gonna get hospitalized? Of course not. But we know that patients who have upfront palliative care, their cost per hospitalization is reduced anywhere from 3000 to about $6,000 per hospitalization. So if you multiply that out, you know, there are about 14 million patients right now in the United States who need palliative care services. There are 7,600 palliative care physicians and about 18,000 palliative certified nurses out there. We can't access all of those patients and they can't access us very easily. You know, it's about one in 1800, you know, physician to, to palliative care patient right now ratio. That's an enormous size differential that we can't compensate for in short order. You know, we make about 500 new fellows a year who get boarded in hospice and palliative medicine. I can't make enough palliative care physicians and board certified nurses um, who, who can take care of our population. And we're expected to see a growth to 63 million palliative care patients by the year 2035. And that's not even taking into account COVID. That was pre-COVID yeah. estimates. Yeah. So my understanding, just to summarize this part of it, is essentially um, access. Access mm -hmm. to knowledge, access to services, access to people, access to community, access is the core at all of this. And the premise is that the more access you have to the right things at the right time, whatever those things are, you can reduce the cost to the insurer and, you know, the payor, whoever that may be. And that's what you're pitching, essentially. Is that right? 
That is correct. And there are other aspects to this. So, okay. you know, when, when we were contemplating, do we go for a B2C or a B2B model or a B2B2B, um, you know, the paths are, are, are so numerous, right? You have to at some point sit down and make a, make a pitch and say, this is what we're going to go after, right? Um, and so we've partnered, for example, with a, a company called X-Cures, which is curating clinical trials for oncology patients um, to see how they respond to being supported with palliative care. Does it help them get through their clinical trials? So another aspect of this, for example, is biopharma, right? Biopharma has a vested interest in seeing their clinical trials through and seeing that their patients are, are able to tolerate their clinical trials well, right? And so, for example, our beta testing is going to be in that patient population to see, do we make an impact? So is biopharma a target? Absolutely. Because the more patients we can keep doing well while they're doing clinical trials, the better it is for biopharma for their R&D and development, right? So again, there's so many different ways to monetize this. And again, for me personally, I don't want that monetization to be on the backs of people who are already struggling. And so we are going to access the marketplace. We are going to access biopharma. We're going to access payors. Those are the main targets at this point. And, and that attract, I mean, in terms of, it's challenging who the, you know, how you develop those relationships with the payors. And I'm really sharing this just purely for the benefit of, uh, of our audience, really watching, uh, thinking this through, you know, any kind of platform briefly, and then I want to go on to this other topic, really, or question is, um, you've got to think, is there value for each side of the platform? There are multiple sides of getting everyone around the table. And you also mentioned education. So just a quick one. Do the uh, clinicians, for example, get free education or do they have to pay for that? So there are some aspects of the platform that are free. And uh -huh. then if they want to get what we're going to refer to as palliative certified, because yeah. a lot of physicians... They don't have the ability. Many, many physician colleagues of mine have said to me, God, I wish I could do a palliative care fellowship, but I can't afford okay. to in my life right now yeah. to take a year off and go back into a fellowship training model. And so someone can come onto the palliative platform and do CME with us and become palliative certified where we say, hey, this person has completed the requisite course material and has understanding to be, for us to feel comfortable saying, this person really knows how to deliver high quality evidence-based palliative care. So there will be definitely CME opportunities there. There will be self-guided tutorials for physicians to see if this is something they're interested in learning more about. Um, at the end of the day, all physicians have to do CME. And so this is an opportunity for them to gain expertise and understanding in an area that is really important. I mean, one of the biggest things we do in palliative medicine, for example, is pain management. Mm. Patients often struggle with symptom management and pain management is one of the big ones. And so it's a requirement in many states now for physicians to have at least 12 CME hours worth of pain education. So there's really an opportunity here. You know, I joke around, I have young children. Um, I don't know if you can see it on the bookshelf behind me, but there's the entire Harry Potter series there. Um, and, you know, I'm building Dumbledore's army of do-gooders is what I tell people when I talk to them about this. This is not a space that one person, one company, one entity can provide all of what is needed. In fact, we know for there, it's a desert out there in many areas. And so if I have physicians or nurses or social workers or pharmacists who are like, wow, I'm really interested in this and I want to learn more about this. I certainly want them coming on board the Palladi platform and learning, 
I want to give them those tools. But would you be providing all of this, like, would you be curating and developing the educational content? Would you be providing any of the services themselves or are you the connection focal point bringing everyone together? The moment we're both um, at some point, you know, the, the vision of what Pality is, mm -hmm. is it's, it's enormous, right? It is. And we can't tackle all of it at once, right? We're an early stage company we don't have the ability to build out the vision that is fully on our vision board and in my head mm. all at once. So we have to be very selective in where we start. So we're going to start with the social networking capabilities. We're going to start with the telehealth capabilities, and we're going to start with the CME education portions of it. And we've partnered with MedChallenger, um, who's going to help us curate the CME materials for Pality specifically. Love it. And, and, you know, this is a nice pivot into my kind of final question about this, but over to you for any final words you'd like to share um, to other health change makers, health entrepreneurs, or even intrapreneurs, which is, okay, so you're at the pre-seed stage, if I heard correctly. And, and I think the challenge that you have right now is because you're a palliative care physician, you've also been through this yourself. You know everything that there is, almost everything there is to know about this world, and you want to solve all of it. And obviously, as you say, you're prioritizing and, and in incrementally solving these problems. But when it gets to pre-seed and you're going to need, you are looking for funding right now, as you said uh, before we clicked uh, hit record. So how does that complexity of it's a platform, number one, there's multiple value propositions, multiple customer segments. How does that play into your experience of getting funding. And, and again, you don't have to get personal about Pality, but generally for sure. the benefit of the audience, like any reflections on that? Well, I'll say this much. Um, during this journey, because I started out as a, a clinician, researcher, scientist person, right? I did not start out as a business person, an entrepreneur. Um, I, I spent four months at the, the Graduate School of Business at Stanford so that I could learn enough business savvy to be smart enough to be able to walk in the room and not sound um, incompetent. Uh, but I'm certainly not a full-fledged MBA, and this is not the world that I normally live in and, and breathe. So I would say a couple of different things. One is surrounding myself by people who have done this before and who do have that experience has been critical. Mm -hmm. Having people go, we believe in your vision. We believe in what you're trying to build. Let's work through all the pieces of this that you need to, to think through. Some of the questions you were asking about, like what is your value proposition? Which, how are you gonna monetize this? How are you gonna get this to market? Um, so I would say step number one is really surrounding yourself with people who both believe in your vision and the ethos of your company. That's number one. And I think that, you know, just like you and I, when we first met, one of the things that I have found remarkable in, in building Pality is that everyone's got a story. There is not a single person out there who does not have a story about witnessing or experiencing someone they care about and love going through a significant illness or dying process. And so when I talk to investors, it starts with a personal conversation. It starts with a personal connection. It starts with being able to say, hey, tell me about what your experience has been. Tell me, tell me about why you know, this is important to you. And really getting inroads by networking with people who understand and, and want the same things you want because they either didn't experience it or they witnessed something that just didn't sit well with them. Um, and then the other piece of it, I would say, is, is connecting with other entrepreneurs who are further along the road than you are. 
Um, you know, I am a huge fan of, of Ruby, um, who started M Disrupt. And her goal in life is to get physicians at the table of companies that are innovating in the healthcare space. Yeah. Makes total sense, right? You know, if you're going to try and innovate in a space, don't you think that the, the key people who have the expertise in that space should be at the table helping advise you as to whether or not what you're developing makes sense or not on a clinical level? So similarly, I'm doing the same thing in terms of I'm getting the business people to advise me and to help me along the way with investment. Um, and so, yes, we are looking to raise funds right now. We're trying to raise $3 million. We are doing it through an SPV through GHIN. Um, our first round of the SPV, we're trying to raise 1.5 so that we can, in fact, do all of the beta testing that we talked about earlier um, in our podcast today. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, is you need to be very clear about what your first vertical is going to be, right? So I think of Pality as like the center of a spoke of a wheel. And there are all these offshoots, all these rays of light that I would like to bring into this, this marketplace and into this platform, but I can't build them all at once. So just being really clear when talking to investors about which verticals are we going after first? What is going to be the you know phase one, phase two, phase three, that Gantt chart of, of what am I going to accomplish with the funding over this period of time? So I would say those are probably the key things that I've taken over the last year or so. Um, and then obviously talking to, to people like you who have connections with other people who may have interests that align and where there's synergy um, for collaboration. Like I said, going back to Dumbledore's Army, no one can build this by themselves. You need people. You need people who care about other people who want to help you with that vision. So I've been very grateful and appreciative of our advisors and our supporters who have really been cheerleading this and, and making more connections for us every single conversation. It's like, oh, you know, I thought about this person. You should really talk to them. Um, and so I love those introductions. Those are always fantastic. And look, if you're watching and you think that either you've got a question, obviously, uh, about uh, Palati, do pose them below and I'll be sure to share them uh, with Ariane. But also, if you've got a thought about something you can do, and I'm uh, Ariane hasn't asked me to do this, but if you have an idea or some way that you might be able to help uh, Ariane, do uh, get in touch because honestly, I, I love what you're doing. Genuinely, that's why you're here today, obviously. And I think anyone who is developing a platform, and I want to hand it back to you, Ariane, just for some final words, but anyone who's developing a platform, it's hard. As, as Ariane just said, it's really hard to scale at the pace that you want to when you know you've got this grand vision that you want to solve all of these problems that are all valuable and all desperately needed. Um, but if you can focus, if it is a platform, if you can focus on bringing all the different players together and giving each of them value so that they actually want to be there and it's sticky enough, that user experience is critical. And that's going to be a challenge when you've got multiple players. But if you can bring them in and keep them there and then have that group like a node there in the middle, then you're going to have all of these different existing players who might already be offering education, all these different value propositions, you will be a magnet and attract all of these to you. And then you'll scale much faster. It's uh, anyway, uh, you see where I'm going with this There's various ways of doing this rather than delivering everything yourself. Initially, think of Netflix, they did that, right. and then they had enough revenue to create their own content as well. Look, any final words, uh, Aria? 
I think probably, you know, one of my mentors once said to me, do the right thing and the money will follow. And, and that always stuck with me. Um, I would like to think that, you know, despite all of what's been going on for the last couple of years and some of the insanity that's in this world, call me naive, call me an optimist. Um, I still believe there are people out there who want to do the right thing um, and genuinely care about caring for other people. Yeah. And so I feel that if I can get enough of us to band together, and, and to some extent, there's a grassroots component to this. I think patients are frustrated. I think clinicians are frustrated. I think healthcare, as we know it, at least in the United States, that's, you know, we could have a whole other podcast about national healthcare system and how this would right. play out in a national healthcare system. But, you know, I, I think that the patient clinician relationship is something that has been lost in many aspects of healthcare in the United States. And I think that both the clinicians and the patients are frankly fed up with it. They want to be cared for. They want to feel like they have a partner in their care. And I think that what Pality is aiming to do, and I think what Pality will succeed in doing is reestablishing where the priorities are where it's patient and clinician centric. Um, and I think that, again, when you do the right thing, the money will follow. Having those therapeutic relationships will only serve everyone in this space for good. Um, and so I, I'm really, you know, again, maybe naive, maybe overly optimistic, but I think that as the, you know, evangelist of Pality, I need to be those things. Um, I need to, to get as many people who feel that way to come join me. And, and just to wrap up on that, you hit a, a, a really important point there. You are the evangelist and you are speaking. I mean, you're at all of these summits, podcasts, you're here. A lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of founders are not as forward. Either they're in stealth mode for too long, not speaking about the problem. You don't need to talk about the solution. You don't need to talk about your startup so, you know, at all. Just talk about, have a conversation and raise that level of conversation. So it's on everyone's mind. And if you are an expert like you are, uh, Ariane, I mean, why not get out there and speak more? We need more people like you that think good. But the reason I said that is because there is this other line of thought, which is, do the right thing, put it out there, and actually they don't come. It's all about marketing at the end of the day and communication and spreading that message, and you're doing it well. So, Ariane, keep going. I'm, I'm backing you no matter what. I, I wish I had the money to send you right now, but I'll support you in any <laughs> shape or form because I love what you're doing. Really appreciate you. Remember, if you've got questions, there is that section in the community called Pality uh, and, and pose them there. Thank you, Ariane. Thank you, Burris. Really appreciate it. And I'll take all the cheerleaders I can get, not just the checks. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Love it.